I was thinking as we were singing this song, it says, my hope is only Jesus. And this race that we're running, we have this kind of soul focus, Jesus, that everything is tied up in him and wrapped up in him. And, and here in Hebrews 12, let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on him. And as I was singing this song, it just made me sad to think about all those people who they don't know Jesus and their hope isn't in Jesus. And I was just thinking about how kind of tiring it would be to just constantly be chasing something else. And, and this world is so fickle and things are constantly, you know, evolving and changing. And the thing that's the hot thing isn't the hot thing anymore. And people spend all their time and effort chasing this thing. And then it's not the thing. And how blessed are we that we can stop and, and read this passage of scripture and sing these songs and just have confidence and joy knowing that it's all about Jesus and our focus can be on Jesus and that he never changes and that he's always enough. And we, we were singing in that song so many, great, um, so many great things that are echoed in the scripture. Um, there are people who are constantly overwhelmed by various trials and for some people, it's, it, it wrecks their lives. And for some people, like us, hopefully, we're able to endure and make it through because our eyes have been fixed on Jesus and we've seen his faithfulness and we've seen how trustworthy he is. The church that Paul was writing to in Second um, Thessalonians, that's where our passage of scripture uh, is going to be this morning, Second Thessalonians, that church was going through various um, trials and Paul was reminding them, keep your eyes on Jesus, your hope is in Christ. They were facing persecution because they uh, believed the gospel and they were committed to the gospel and the people in their town didn't like that. And so they were persecuted because of it. And so Paul wrote them this letter of second Thessalonians to be an encouragement to them, to encourage them to remain steadfast in their commitment to the Lord. And then at the same time that that's happening, that they're facing persecution from the outside on the inside, there were people who were saying, the day of the Lord has already come. Jesus has already come back and you've missed it. And we were singing like in the, the song that John was leading us in, we're talking about the resurrection and how we're looking forward to his coming back. That made me think about if, if there were people in our church who stood up loudly and with a loud voice, we're talking about the fact that Jesus had already come back, how potentially distressing and worrying that could be like we've already missed it. And for them, remember, they didn't have the, all of the scripture. Like we have it for us. Now they had messages from the apostles. They had letters, but it wasn't together like this. And so it was much more difficult and they were much more easily kind of led astray by false teachers. And so Paul wrote them this letter to encourage them. Jesus hasn't come back. Those are false teachers. You haven't missed it. Don't be alarmed. Don't be shaken. And he wrote this again to be an encouragement uh, to them. So let's read in Second Thessalonians. We're going to start in verse 13 and read through verse 17. Second Thessalonians 2, 13 through 17. We should always give thanks to God for you, Brethren beloved by the Lord, because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the spirit and faith in the truth. And it was for this that he called you through our gospel, that you may gain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brethren, stand firm 
and hold to the traditions which you were taught, whether by word of mouth or by letter from us. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who has loved us and given us eternal comfort and good hope by grace, comfort and strengthen your hearts in every good work and word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for this word this morning. We thank you for the way that uh, you have wrapped up everything in Christ and you have made him the focus um, of everything. We thank you that he sent his apostles, empowered by your Holy Spirit, to teach the early church. And we thank you that we have a copy of that now. And we thank you that we can look at it and study it and know, God, with confidence that we're hearing from you. We thank you that your desire, Lord, is to encourage us and to remind us of what's true. We pray that we would hear from you this morning. And we know, God, that you will speak and that you're speaking clearly. And we pray, um, God, that you would just change us on the inside, in our inner man. God, that you would renew us today and every day. God, that we would follow hard after you, that we would keep our eyes on you. We ask, Lord, that you would protect us from the false teaching that's out there today, from the lies of the enemy, from our own foolishness. God, we ask that you would protect us from that and lead us in a way that honors you. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Last week, we focused on verse 15. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the, to the traditions which you were taught. Pastor Dean talked about the fact that when he sees the word stand firm, he, he always thinks of this phrase, get ready. Remember, he talked about his coach that told him that he needed to have a firm foundation and that he needed to be ready for some conflict, some contact. And he said that we also need to have a firm foundation in our faith. We looked at the story of the, the parable of the builders who were building their house. One built their house on the rock. One built their house on the sand. One of the houses stood. One of the houses fell with a great crash because they had different foundations. We talked last week about the fact that the storms are coming. Jesus knows about the storms. We can't pick them. We can't plan for them. That God has provided a way for us to make it through them. And he's provided a way for us in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. When we see this stand firm and hold to the traditions which you were taught, whether by word of mouth, this is the apostles going around to these various churches and teaching them, or by letter, these written things that we have, the copies of of these letters that uh, the apostles wrote, this word then is the foundation that we have. God works through his word by the power of the Holy Spirit to help us understand more about him. This word is the foundation that we need. We need to believe it. And we need to stand firm in it. We need to make sure that we aren't um, easily um, distracted away from it. The world is so busy. There's so many things that are, are fighting for our attention. But we need to make sure that we give God's word the attention that it deserves because God is speaking through his word. This is our part. You see that? He says, he says, brothers and sisters, stand firm. This is what our contribution is. This is our personal responsibility in this is that as maturing followers of Jesus... We don't want to stay like we were. We want to know Jesus better. Our job is to hold fast to his word, to not be swayed, to not be manipulated, to not be deceived. And this week, we're going to see what the Lord is doing. Last week was our part. 
This week is the Lord's part. Do you see this, the way this flows from verses 15 through um, 17? I want to read this again to highlight this. So then, brethren, stand firm and hold to the traditions which you were taught, whether by word of mouth or by letter from us. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who has loved us and given us eternal comfort and good hope by grace, comfort and strengthen your hearts in every good work in word. This is his part. This is what he is doing. I want to summarize it like this, that God is establishing or strengthening our hearts so that we can do and say the things that are truly good. You see what God's part is? We stand firm in the word and God takes his word and he allows us to be established and strengthened in our inner person for the purpose of doing good things and saying good things. I asked Bill to read from Second Peter um, earlier in the service. And um, one of the things that's happening is that Peter is completely consistent with Paul in his messaging. And I, I want to highlight a couple of things. So um, if you would turn back with me uh, to Second Peter 1. couple of highlights. Here in verse 3, his power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. We have what we need. God has given it to us. Verse 4, and what he has given us is his precious and magnificent promises. Paul said, stand firm in the word. Peter said, you have the promises. This is all you need. We have everything we need for life and godliness. He's given us his spirit that lives inside of us. He's given us his word. He's given us the body, this church. Do you guys understand that you are an important part of my spiritual growth? That you guys can be an important part of each other's spiritual growth. We need the body of Christ. God has given us this group of people to encourage us in our faith. Here in 2 Peter, we see that God has given us everything we need, and we see a clear picture of spiritual growth. That to our faith, we add goodness, and to our goodness, knowledge, and to our knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. That's like six months' worth of sermons right now. We're just going to kind of read it real quick and look at it, but see that there are some very clear Pictures of what it means for people to follow Jesus. You guys should spend some time there that week studying those words and thinking about what that means, the things that we're supposed to be adding to our faith. There's a warning here that it's not okay to stay immature. He says that this sort of um, character growth and development is what the Lord does in people's lives. And if it doesn't describe you, did you see what he said? For he who lacks these qualities in verse 9... He says they're blind or short-sighted. They've forgotten what Christ has done for them. Maybe they've been distracted by the charms of this world and they no longer are seeing things the way that they're supposed to be seeing them. And so what they need to do is to focus on Jesus, to set their eyes on Jesus. And if they set their eyes on Jesus, he'll develop his character in them. Their character isn't going to be changed if they aren't thinking about Jesus, if their eyes aren't set on him. And so now we go back 
to 2 Thessalonians, and we can see that, that Paul is doing the same thing. He's saying, just like Peter, don't forget what God has done for you. Set your eyes on him and remember. Do you see the list of things that Paul reminds them of that are true about who God is and about what he's doing in their lives? Let's look at some of these together. Verse 16, he has loved us. We don't want to just blast right through that. Read it real fast and move on to the next thing. This is, this is important for us to stop and remember. If we're going to fulfill the purposes of God, if we're going to do good things and say good things, we have to first remember. If we're going to develop the character of God, if we're going to be transformed and look more like Jesus, we have to stop and we have to remember. And this is what we remember, that we're loved. Satan wants to convince us that we are unloved. He wants to convince us that God doesn't care. He wants you to think that God has forgotten about you, and that's not true. The Lord loves you, and the way that we know he loves us is because he demonstrated it for us on the cross. The greatest demonstration of his love for us is there, that we didn't deserve his forgiveness or his grace, and yet he's poured it out on us freely. In John 13, Jesus talks a little bit about love. I'm going to read this uh, verse to you. He was meeting his disciples for the Last Supper. He was about to wash his disciples' feet. Maybe you're familiar with that story, the picture of what that means. And listen to the, the first verse in chapter 13. Now, before the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, and that he would depart out of this world. We know what that means. That it was time for him to go to the cross. It was time for him to die. That he would leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. So what that introductory verse is setting up for us is, is helping us understand that the rest of the story that's happening in John 13 is all about love. He's loved them already, and he's loving them fully. And how does he love them? He gets down and he washes his disciples' feet. He serves them, right? And there's some confusion there because Peter's like, I don't know if I want you to wash my feet. And Jesus says, you don't understand this now, but you're going to understand it afterwards because it wasn't just about washing their feet, was it? It was about him laying his life down for them at the cross, that his serving them, yes, serving them meant getting down and doing the things that maybe nobody else wanted to do, but it ultimately means laying your life down for somebody else. It's Matt, Matt Prosser. Is he in here? No, he's, he's not. Oh, man. No, there he is. Matt, hey, come here. I'm so glad. Hey, pop quiz. How long have you been married? You do it. Well done. I had the privilege of marrying Matt like 12 years ago. And uh, I was thinking about that this week because one of the verses that I shared with, uh, with Matt and Lindsay um, that great, great day 12 years ago was 1 John 3.16, right? Remember it? It says this, we know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and so we should lay down our lives for one another. He defined love for us in this great, very clear way. It's laying our lives down for other people. Jesus has loved you. Do not forget, he has laid down his life for you. He has provided for you. He has loved you to the full. You couldn't get what he had to offer. You couldn't earn it. You, can't, you couldn't 
achieve eternal life in any other way other than belief in who he is and receiving his sacrifice. He's loved us to the end. And it's not only that, but he's still alive and he continues to love us. He continues to remind us of his, of his nearness and his awareness and his care for us. And his promises, he promises in his word that he's going to bind us up and lift our heads and help us through whatever difficulty we're facing. First thing that um, Paul reminded them of in 2 Thessalonians 2 was that, hey, you are loved. And then he reminds them that there's eternal comfort. This is something that they already have, eternal comfort. Years ago, we were doing a Bible study um, through John with our college students. And John 10.9, in John 10.9, Jesus says, I am the door or the gate. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and he will go in and out and find pasture. And I remember uh, one of the people in that group was just kind of blown away by the idea of pasture and kind of emphasized it. And I'd, I'd never thought of it like that before. And yet in that moment, and it's obviously stuck with me ever since, just kind of what that idea of pasture really means. Do you, do you feel it? Jesus says they'll be saved and go in and out and find pasture and find rest and find comfort. Psalm 23 is a familiar passage of scripture, right? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures and leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. God has promised us eternal comfort and rest when we put our trust in Jesus. He's redeemed us and he's forgiven us and he's promised to be our portion forever. He's given us eternal perspective so that we can see through kind of the difficulties of the temporary things that we're, walk, that we're facing right now. And he's helped us to see eternity and see that life with him and joy with him is going to be ours. And we're able to make it through whatever challenges we face now because we're not focused on this. We're focused on him. The third thing that Paul mentions here as something that they're supposed to remember is that they have good hope by grace. The promises continue. We have hope of God's grace. It's his undeserved favor and kindness to get us through whatever we're in the middle of. You guys familiar with this verse where Paul, where, where the Lord told Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. Hope is a forward looking thing. And Paul says, we have the hope of grace. We have God's grace. We're saved by God's grace, but we also stand in God's grace. We never get past our need for God's grace. We're going to continue to sin but his mercy is more. He still loves us. He loves us because of what Jesus has done, not because of what we've done. And so we can be confident that because he lavished his grace on us in the first place, when we were at our ugliest, he's going to continue to lavish his grace on us. And there's hope in that. There's confidence in that. There's joy in that. We have the hope of grace. Jesus is full of grace. His, his grace gives us the hope of a better future, knowing that his ways are the best ways and that even when we mess up, he's going to lift us up and help us make it through. He's going to teach us something from it so that we can be more like him the next time. His grace protects us from inner decay 
and gives us fresh springs of spiritual life. Fresh springs of spiritual life. There's something good about the life committed to following Jesus. If we think back to what Bill read in 2 Peter 2, there at the end of that passage of Scripture, Peter said, if these qualities are yours and are increasing, you will be neither useless nor unfruitful. So let's flip it around. If the Lord is doing work in our lives, if he's growing us up and maturing us, he is going to make us useful and he's going to make us fruitful. That's what he was doing then in their lives. And this is what he continues to do now. This is the purpose for which God has saved us and poured out all these blessings into our life. It's so that now, look at verse 17. Here's Paul's prayer that God would comfort and strengthen our hearts in every good work and word. That God would comfort and strengthen, maybe your Bible say, encourage and establish your hearts. This is where the work of God happens in our hearts. I brought this rock up here. Um, Don't know if you noticed it. It's kind of strange. It's been sitting in my office um, for the past, quick math, 18 years. I pulled this rock out of a creek in Canton uh, in 2003. I was going to teach a Bible study about Ezekiel 11. Would you turn there um, with me? Ezekiel 11. The kids uh, who are in the youth ministry have you know, noticed this rock from time to time just sitting there next to my desk. They've asked me about it, and it's just a great reminder for me that God does his work in our hearts. So I was teaching this Bible study in Ezekiel 11, and I want to read Ezekiel um, 11, 19, and 20 with you. is what the Lord said, and I will give them one heart and put a new spirit within them. And I will take the heart of stone out of their flesh and I will give them a heart of flesh that they may walk in my statutes and keep my ordinances and do them. And they will be my people and I shall be their God. So what this rock reminds me of is of the kind of the cold, dead, unresponsiveness of our hearts to the Lord and to spiritual things apart from the work of Christ. We don't care about the Lord. Everything we do is sinful because we are sinful. Our hearts are sinful. This is where the Lord does his work. It's in our hearts. People do sinful things because they have sinful hearts and we need the Lord to change our hearts. And so that's why here in 2 Thessalonians, we see that Um, the Lord's desire is for them to do good things, but in order for them to do good things, they have to have a good heart. Here are some more things that Jesus said in uh, Mark 7. Jesus was quoting Isaiah 29, and he said, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, these people honor me, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In Luke 6, 45, Jesus said, a good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. 
the Lord is at work in the heart. First to free us from sin and to make us alive. And I hope that he's done that. I hope that you have recognized your sinfulness and your need for a savior. And I hope that you put your trust in Jesus. And we pray that you will see the emptiness of the world as it is apart from him. We pray that, that you would trust Jesus and allow him to take your cold, dead, unresponsive heart and make it alive. This is his work in salvation. But for those of us who have already trusted Jesus, the work isn't over. He's going to continue to encourage and establish our hearts, strengthen our hearts. He's going to continue to do work to make us love the things that he loves. Because we need help. We can't do it. It's, it's, it's too hard for us. We're incapable of living a holy life apart from God's help. This is why we need to be united with him. And we have been, and now we need to grow with him and allow him to continue to shape us and change us. This was Paul's prayer for them. That they would have their hearts continue to be shaped by the Lord. How often do we look back and see situations that we know we could have handled differently? You know, where, where you, you do something and it's like, ah, why? We say something and we're like, oh man, that's, that's, not, that's not becoming of me. That's not what the Lord has for me. And so we, when we recognize those times, when we're frustrated with immaturity, that's when we pray this prayer along with Paul. Sometimes we don't know what to pray. Sometimes prayer is hard. I just want to encourage you, pray the word. Here's what we can pray. Lord, you have loved me and you have given me eternal comfort and good hope by grace, Lord, would you establish and strengthen my heart so that I do good things and say good things? He strengthens our hearts for a purpose, to do good things, to say good things. But we don't get to decide what's good. Right? Oftentimes, we use the word good just to talk about kind of ordinary, you know, normal things like, Oh, custard, good, jam, good. You know, that meal's good, that movie's good, that song's good. We just throw it around. Or maybe, you know, we approve of something by participating in it and declare it to be good. Good is often, it's, it's so subjective in the way we use it. But here, Paul's like, God, would you strengthen and establish their hearts in every good work and word. We want to we elevate our understanding of good right now, this morning. To not think of it as just you know, some subjective opinion, but, but what is it really? There is objective good. Goodness comes from the Lord because he is inherently good. Scripture's full of these verses that talk about how good the Lord is. A couple that I want to encourage you with. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His mercy endures forever. The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. The Lord is good. He gets to decide what good is. We don't. The Lord is good because it's who he is. In Exodus 33, Moses asks to see the glory of the Lord. He wants to see the, the weight and the beauty of of the reality of the perfections of God. And here is what the Lord says. He agrees and he says, all of my goodness will pass before you. Moses wanted to see the, the, the 
highness of God. And he said, all of my goodness will pass before you because the full array of the Lord's perfections are wrapped up in his goodness. He loves. Why does he love? Because he's good. He forgives. Why does he forgive? Because he's good. He's full of grace and mercy. Why? Because he is good. It all flows from his inherent goodness. And so now we look back at 2 Thessalonians and we think, okay, Lord, you want me to do good things and say good things. And it's not just what I think is good, but it's what he thinks is good. A heart that is established by God will realize that we are not created to waste our time nor our words. We're supposed to carefully consider the activities we engage in and the words that come out of our mouths and deliberately aim to reflect his character. I have a couple of verses that I wanted to share with you. A couple of more. If you want to write some of these down, jot them down, think about them later. The um, value of this stuff is huge. The depth of this stuff is so strong. I, I had to just stop. You know, it's like I can't just keep talking about how, how all of these good things that we're supposed to do. But I want to, to share with you some verses to point you in the right direction. Romans 12, 2, a verse talks about how we need to be changed on the inside so that we can know what God's good, pleasing, and perfect will is. Philippians 1, 9 through 11 talks about how we need to approve the things that are excellent. Galatians 6, 9 and 10 says, don't grow weary in doing good, especially in the household of believers. Sometimes it's easy for us to be comfortable with each other and, and, and start to um, take, take advantage of these relationships. And, and, and there, start, there can be some like, you know, hurt feelings that happen or, you know, there's some meanness that can happen. And we don't want to allow that to happen. We're supposed to do good to serve the way the Lord has served us, to put other people first. And we're supposed to speak good, good things coming out of our mouths. Titus 3, 1 and 2 says, speak evil of no one. Be careful about what you say about other people. Ephesians four twenty nine, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. God is good. And he wants to share his goodness with us. Those of us who believed in him, he has done great things for us. And now he expects us to reflect his character to the world around it. Do you believe it that God is good and will you submit to him and follow him and be good to other people? Do you believe it? I want to wrap up with one more verse in Jeremiah 2. Five. Lord is speaking through the prophet Jeremiah, calling people uh, to repentance, under, letting them understand why he is judging them. And this is what he says. He says, what fault did your fathers find in me that they went far from me? They walked after emptiness and became empty. You see why this people that Jeremiah was ministering to and preaching to, do you see why they followed after emptiness? What fault did they find in me? They didn't see him as being good. 
They didn't trust him. And the result of their own kind of declaration, God, you're not good. Something else is good. I'm going to follow something else. The result of it is that they followed after emptiness and became empty themselves. Or maybe your Bible said they followed after worthlessness and became worthless themselves. Do you know what? The Lord is for us. He wants to protect us and save us from falling into the sort of life of emptiness and worthlessness. And it starts with us seeing him as he truly is. He is good and following him in his goodness. I'm going to be praying for you guys this week. I want to challenge you to, to look at some of those verses and to think about the things that you're doing and to think about the things that you're saying. Are they really good? Are they godly good? Let's pray for one another that that'll be the case. Lord, we thank you so much for your grace. Because even now, thinking about this upcoming week, Lord, I know that there are going to be times where I don't do or say the right thing. And yet I know that I stand in grace. And Lord, I pray that you would help me to have wisdom and discernment to think about the things that I say and the things that I do. Lord, I pray for this body and I thank you for this body. And I thank you for the encouragement that that we can be to one another. And Lord, I pray that as we do the work of building a firm foundation and you do the work, Lord, of shaping our hearts and strengthening our hearts to do the things that honor you, I pray that we would do what Paul does next, which is to ask that people would pray for him. Lord, I pray that we would pray for one another, that we would lift one another up. I pray that we would involve people in our lives. Lord, I pray that you would help us to do and say things that honor you. I pray that you would help us, Lord, in this because we can't do it on our own. Lord, it's been just such a a blessing to stop and think back about to, to all the promises that we have, to all the good things that you've already done for us. Lord, I pray that you would help us to remember those things, to not forget. And I pray that as a result of that, God, that you would change our hearts and shape our hearts to make us look more like Jesus. And Lord, I pray that as a result of that, our lives would be full, not empty. They would be meaningful, not worthless. Lord, I pray that our lives would be useful and that our lives would be fruitful for your kingdom and for your glory. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen.